Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. The more idolatry happens within their lives. I think that still rings true today. I think it rings true today. Now I'm all for being like financially secure. I'm all for that. But we do see this thing happen when when people come into excess of money, their trust in God diminishes. Why? Well, I have money. So if I have money, I can solve all my problems. So I think. Let's face it. We all know that one person that we think has just about everything that they could ever want. They have the job, the boat, the car, or whatever it is. How could it get any better than that? Well, today, Pastor James is going to be talking about the dangers of excess. In the book of Hosea, the people became more dependent on their excesses than they did on God. And that's exactly what Scripture warns us about. In the end, we have to realize that all of our possessions are from God, and He should get all of our focus. Now turn in your Bible to the book of Hosea chapter 10 for today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Verse 1 of chapter 10 in Hosea. Now, just so you understand context-wise, this is the pronouncements against Israel, all right? They are sinning against God. They've turned their backs against God. They've preferred idols made by hands instead of the creator God, okay? So that's, that's what they've chosen. They've chosen this little thing made by hands. They're like, we'd rather bow down and worship this thing than God Almighty, who without him, this isn't even possible, okay? Considering resources and what it's made out of and all that good stuff. But that's the children of Israel. God's like, okay, what do you want? You want to serve me? I rescued you from bondage, from slavery. And they're like, yeah, we appreciate that. However, have you seen one of these, God? These are pretty amazing. These little, I'm using a cell phone, um, modern day idol, I think. But this is where they're at. So God is now laying it out there to them, here's what's going to happen to you, okay? Some of this, this is like, for them, it was going to be like immediate prophecy fulfillment, and then there's a section within here that goes into future fulfillment, okay? So verse 1 of chapter 10, it says, How prosperous Israel is, a luxuriant vine loaded with fruit, but the richer the people get, the more pagan altars they build. Yeah, right? So the more comfortable they get, the more idolatry happens within their lives. I think that still rings true today. I think it rings true today. Now, I'm all for being like financially secure. I'm all for that. But we do see this thing happen when, when people come into excess of money. Their trust in God diminishes. Why? Well, I have money. So if I have money, I can solve all my problems. So I think. Ask any professional athlete if that's true, and they'll tell you it's not. Now, initially, they may tell you it is. Give them some years when they're bankrupt. What's the statistic of NBA players after they retire? I mean, how quickly they go bankrupt is astounding. Astounding. Millions of dollars. 
Just give them about five years after they retire, and most of them are bankrupt. It's crazy. But here, here God's saying, is like, you're so, Israel, you're so prosperous. But the more you got, the less you needed from me. And then that's the danger. And again, I'm all for, you know, if you can make money, make money. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Money is not evil, okay? That's, sometimes we trip up over some of these verses and all that good stuff. The, the love of money, the desire for it and all that, that, that's dangerous. But money itself is not evil. If you can get it, then get it. But use it for his glory. Use it for his kingdom. So, but we have to be cautious because this heart of mine, although it may say like, no, yeah, if I got a lot of money, Lord, I'd use it for good. And he's probably like, James, you don't know yourself that well. You don't see what I see. What could be the worst thing ever for me is to have my heart's desire in one sense. Here's Israel, prosperous. And the more they prosper, the less, not that they need God, the less that they want God. Okay? It says the more bountiful their harvest, the more beautiful their sacred pillars. So they're, they're gaining money. They're gaining riches and wealth. And you think that that would go back to the temple. But it's not going back to his temple. It's going back to all these false idols and the temples and the structures made for them. All the blessing that God is allowing within their lives financially is then being received by them and then directed towards false things, which is it's just a sad state. It says, the heart of the people are fickle. They are guilty and must be punished. The Lord will break down their altars and smash their sacred pillars. Okay, they're beautiful sacred pillars. God's going to smash them all. Then they will say, we have no king because we did not fear the Lord. But even if we had a king, what could he do for us anyway? They spout empty words and make covenants they don't intend to keep. So injustice springs up among them like poisonous weeds in a farmer's field. There's God just laying it out. This is who you are. You wonder why your world's upside down. Well, your world's upside down because you've left me. You want to know why our country is upside down? Because our country doesn't care about God anymore. They just don't. And that's sad. It's sad, and, and I'm not saying that this is doom and gloom. And well, I mean, there can be a revival. There can be a turning back to God and all that stuff. I believe that for sure. But if you want to understand the madness that is happening in our nation right now, and let me tell you, it is madness. It's because we've turned our back on him. God doesn't matter to Americans anymore. You can even read any Pew Research or Barna poll that's out there. There are Christians who don't value God anymore. Now that's oxymoronic to me. How can you be a Christian and not care about God or his standards? But that's the research that's coming in in just like un, just unbelievable percentages. It's crazy. So if you're wondering like, well, how did we get here? Oh, I'll tell you how we got here. Started about 40 or 50 years ago. It started before that, technically. But when we started pulling God out of anything and everything, the handle on that toilet just got flush. And we've just been spinning around the bowl. And that's how it's been. We're no different than Israel. We're no different than Israel. Um, 
here's the forms of government that Israel has re- rebelled against, okay? Because this is speaking of their rebellion. In, in one sense, they say, we have no king because we didn't fear the Lord. But even if we had a king, what could he do for us anyway? I, I jotted down six references. This is from the Believer's Bible Commentary of forms of government that Israel themselves rebelled against, okay? Number one, you have God, which represents a theocracy. God governed, okay? They rebelled against that. They were not satisfied with having God as their ruler. They desired a king. And that was, in, well, even before that, they have Moses as a prophet and lawgiver. They rebelled against Moses. They didn't want anything, they didn't want anything to do with Moses, okay? Now, they elevate him as one of the main guys in Judaism for sure. However, all you got to do is just read through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy just to see that they didn't listen to anything this guy said, okay? Then you had Joshua, who was a spiritual and military general. They rebelled against Joshua. Then you had the judges. They represent a judicial type of government. They just read the book of Judges and you see it time and time again. They rebelled against that type of government. Then you had your kings. So they rebelled against a monarchy. They wanted to be like all the other nations. Give us a king. Then they decided Saul will be our king. They rebelled against the monarchy and all that good stuff. And then they have no king, which is anarchy. And they even rebel against anarchy, which is like almost the definition of anarchy. Like they, they are not satisfied at all. And, and whatever God allows for them as far as, you know, a, a leader or type of leadership or anything like that, they just rebel against it because they're sinners and their hearts are fixed on their idols. Verse five, it says the people of Samaria tremble in fear for their calf idol at Beth Avon. And they mourn for it. Beth Avon is house of wickedness. It, it, it's another name for Bethel, which Bethel means house of God. But here, God is saying, no, it's not Bethel. It's not my house. It's Beth Avon. It's a house of wickedness. And, they, and this is almost like sarcastic. It says they're, they're trembling in fear. They're, they're crying out because their fake God might be like destroyed. If you're crying because your God has just been destroyed, you need a new God. You need capital G God, not lowercase g God, okay? It says, though its priests rejoice over it, its glory will be stripped away. This idol will be carted away to Assyria, the ones who are going to come down and take them away. A gift to the great king there. Ephraim will be ridiculed and Israel will be ashamed because its people have trusted in this idol. Samaria and its king will be cut off. They will float away like driftwood on an ocean wave. And the pagan shrines of Avon, the place of Israel's sin, will crumble. Thorns and thistles will grow up around their altars. They will beg to the mountains, bury us. They will plead with the hills, fall on us. Does that remind you of anything? It should. Revelation. Revelation. They cry out these same exact things. They also cry out these same things. I think it's in Isaiah they cry out these same things. So when God shows up and judgment shows up with him, instead of repenting, they're running away. They're pulling an atom. When God showed up in the garden, Adam and Eve split. They played hide and seek with God. You always lose, okay? You always lose. You can't hide from the, an omnipresent God, Okay? There's no hiding place that's, that's good enough. 
Here, Israel, God shows up and he's like, I'm showing up with justice. And they run and they beg for the mountains to fall on them. There's no relief for them. No relief for them. Verse 9, the Lord says, O Israel, ever since Gibeah, there has only been sin and more sin. Gibeah, and we referenced this the last time, I think it was two weeks ago, Judges 19 through 20, verse 10. This is where the, the Levite had his concubine, and then just a horrible, horrible story there with her, and, and she was murdered, and then he chopped her up into 12 pieces and sent her off to each of the tribes, and was like, no such thing has ever been done in Israel before, and, and then this rebellion, this, this thing happens, and they go and attack Benjamin. Okay, the tribe of Benjamin. They almost wipe out the tribe of Benjamin. And, and this, is what, this is that reference there of Gabeah. And this is, this is what God's saying. He's like, look, you guys have just been missing it forever. And that was wickedness. And here's more wickedness. And they, they just continued on in their wickedness. It says, you've made no progress whatsoever. What is not right, was it not right that the wicked men of Gabeah were attacked? Now, whenever it fits in my plan, verse 10, I will attack you too. I will call out the enemies of the nations to punish you for your multiplied sins. Israel is like a trained heifer treading out the grain, an easy job she loves. But I will put a heavy yoke on her tender neck. I will force Judah to pull the plow and Israel to break up the hard ground. I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. For now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. Here's God pleading to the nation. He's like, you had it easy. You had it easy. You don't want easy, I'll make it hard for you. But it's all hope's not lost because even within he's like, plant good seeds of righteousness. Harvest the crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. Your hearts. The issue for us, the issue for Israel, the issue for us is our hearts. And constantly, we should be going to the Lord and saying, please plow up this heart of mine. Because it's not always hard. But man, it does need a whole lot of cultivating. We need, more, we need to make room for, for more seeds of righteousness within my life. We should all be experiencing somewhat of a harvest of, of, of crop of love, Okay. Verse 13, after God pleads with them to do what is right, verse 13, it says, but you have cultivated wickedness and harvested a thriving crop of sins. You have eaten the fruit of lies, trusting in your military might, believing that great armies could make your nation safe. Now the terrors of war will arise among your people. All your fortifications will fall, just as when Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel. Even mothers and children were dashed to death there. You will share that fate, Bethel, because of your great wickedness. When the day of judgment dawns, the king of Israel will be completely destroyed. There's God just throwing it down like, here you go. This is what you want. They can't say anything back to him. Like, this isn't fair. This is what you wanted. You can go all the way back to Moses and God can remind him, like, this is what you guys agreed to. You've agreed to all these things. So that's the little heads up. But here, here's where the, the, the shift happens. Chapter 11, okay? So a, a nice little shift takes place to where God's throwing out this, like, the courtroom scenario that we've talked about before, right? 
But here he's like, displays his love for Israel. Because you can read through some of the stuff and you're like, man, he sounds pretty harsh. Well, a good father disciplines his children when they're acting like knuckleheads, right? Like, that's what a good dad does, okay? He doesn't let them continue on. And here he's correcting. He, he's going to correct their behavior. But he also is going to let them know, I, I still love you guys, though. Verse 1 of 11, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called him, the further he moved away from me, offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love lifted the yoke from his neck, and I myself stooped to feed him. So here's a little imagery that God has thrown down for, for Israel. Number one, likening Israel to his son. It's like, I was there for you. I raised you. You were nothing. Israel, you didn't even exist. And if it wasn't for God, Israel wouldn't exist. He's like, I, I essentially, I birth you in one sense, and you know how to walk because I taught you how to walk. And he's, he's displaying this very intimate thing of like those critical years within that child's development of God's like, I was there with you guys. But the more I extended my love to you, the more you drifted away. And then he goes into, changes the imagery a little bit to where it's like, it's almost like an oxen or something. He's like, I, I led you along with my ropes of kindness and love. I was never abusive to you. I lifted the yoke from his neck. I myself stooped to feed him. Verse 5, it goes on, but since my people refuse to return to me, they will return to Egypt. They will be forced to serve Assyria. War will swirl through their cities. Their enemies will crash through their gates. They will destroy them, trampling them in their own evil plans. For my people are determined to desert me. Note the language there. They refuse to return to me. They're determined to desert me. This is what God is saying concerning the hearts of his, of his children, of Israel. They want nothing to do with God. It's mind-boggling to think of that when... You, all you got to do is just go back into Genesis and like, Israel, again, you only exist because of God. He chose you. He chose you. Out of all the nations of this world, he chose the Jews. And he delivered them. He, he's, he's provided for them. He's done everything possible for them. And yet, they refuse to return to him. They're actively devising plans. They're determined to desert him, to turn their back on him. It's amazing. What's really amazing about that is when I read through that, and I can, I can you know, get down on Israel and be like, oh, man, what's wrong with you guys? And then, and then the mirror shows up in front of my face. I'm like, oh, what's wrong with me? This is... I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm reading Israel, but I'm seeing my own face. And that's what Paul said the word of God was like. So it's a mirror. And there are times where it's like, you know, you know, you know what to do and you know what not to do. Sometimes you choose what to do, the right thing to do. And sometimes you choose the wrong thing to do. 
And in, in essence, you are turning away from God in choosing the wrong. So we're all here. This applies to all of us. And if you feel bad about that, then okay, well, I mean, you know, hey, welcome to the club, but may his grace and his kindness be the thing that wins you back continually. Okay, because if you focus in on the, you know, like, oh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try really hard not to be like this, and that's all you ever focus on, guess what? That's exactly what you're going to do, okay? But if you shift your mindset to where it's like, okay, I'm not going to, I know that's a possibility, but what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to shift my mindset to like, man, Lord, I'm just thankful for you. I'm going to fix my eyes on you. I'm not going to fix my eyes on the things I don't want to do. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. Then you'll find yourself walking in more victories than the defeats. It won't be perfect, though. Even with your eyes fixed on Jesus, you're still a sinner. Okay, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but um, you're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to fall down. Uh, Until you get to heaven and you are glorified, you're still going to fall down. But maybe you trip up less the closer you grow to him, right? So that's the goal anyways. Nobody's going to be perfect. Nobody's going to be sinless. But if we can sin less, that'd be nice, right? That's pretty sweet, okay? So keep your eyes fixed on him. The rest of verse 7, it says, you know, they're determined to desert me. It says, they call me the most high, but they don't truly honor me. They say all the right things, but they don't honor him. They honor him with their mouths, but not their actions. Verse 8, oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma or demolish you like uh, Zeboim? Right? Those are two, I believe those are the two little villages close to or near to Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, my heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. This is God's love for his people who are so rebellious and wicked. And he's just like, oh, you're breaking my heart. You're breaking my heart. Why? Because I love you so much. Now, here's the future part. This is the prophecy stuff that hasn't happened yet, okay? Versus some people say 9 through 12, and then some are like 10 through 12. But we're going to say verse 9 through 12. This is like the future prophetic type stuff. Verse 9 says, no, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you, and I will not come to destroy. For someday the people will follow me. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion. And when I roar, my people will return trembling from the west. Like a flock of birds, they will come from Egypt. Trembling like doves, they will return from Assyria and I will bring them home again, says the Lord. Okay, so we'll, we'll pause there for a second. So this is like a, a future prophetic type thing, which we see somewhat fulfilled when they come back from Babylon, okay? But this is like, I think even beyond that, okay? This is when they really come back to the Lord, all right? There will be this tremendous revival, I'll call it that. Read the book of Revelation, it talks all about this. When the nation of Israel, their eyes will be opened, and they will return back to the Lord in droves. There will be this 
massive revival that takes place there. So I think there is like, there's an, an immediate fulfillment that does technically happen within this, but there's also a future fulfillment that has yet to happen, okay? You've been listening to Bread for the Broken in a series that you just don't want to miss. Pastor James Grizzle has been walking through the messages that God gave to the prophets in the times that Judah and Israel were not only holding God at arm's length, but also suffering under oppression. It doesn't sound too different than when I let my own selfishness drive my decisions. Am I alone in that? What's amazing to me is that God's love for his children isn't conditional. I love that it's not dependent on what I do or what I don't do, but He does desire an authentic relationship with you and me, a friendship that isn't second best. I urge you to not replace Him with the things of this world that eventually fade away. Will you join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday night at 7 p.m. to hear more of God's Word? For those of you that can't make it in person, don't worry. We live stream all of our services just for you. So find us on Facebook today. We like to keep faith simple and uncomplicated. So if you're looking for that and a laid-back atmosphere, then you'll be right at home with us. To find out more, head on over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, look around a little. You'll find our location, a bunch of archived messages, and a place to give to the ministry. We'd love to have you partner with us as we praise the mighty name of the Lord Jesus together. And with that, we're coming to the end of our time together today. We're so glad you decided to spend your day with us here on Bread for the Broken. 